In this sequence of audios, Professor Michael Corris will be retracing the footsteps of the abstract expressionists and meeting some people who knew them. As a New Yorker and an artist himself, he has strong connections with the legacy of these artists. First, he takes us on a tour round their old haunts. I'm sitting here in, in the hotel lobby in Lower Manhattan with a fine view of the Hudson River. Um, I'm looking forward to demonstrating something about the social geography of this particular movement of abstract expressionism, how New York City as a place was as important as the aesthetic ideas and the conversations that artists had between themselves as a locale for this in the post-war period. We're heading south on 2nd Avenue now and heading in the direction of 18th Street, 19th Street, which um, was the neighborhood where Ad Reinhardt and Barnett Newman lived. It's a neighborhood of four, five, six-story tenement buildings. Newman, fabulously interesting and important figure for abstract expressionism. He was an artist since the 20s and 30s, but really didn't start painting seriously until the late 40s. And it was at this studio in this neighborhood in 1947-48 that he painted a work titled One Mint One, which was the very first stripe or zip painting, as he called it. This was probably a working-class neighborhood. Nothing very glamorous. And that probably would have suited him. Okay, so we want to go to 10th Street now. Um, Manhattan at that time, uh, below 14th Street, was a very different kind of place. There was a lot of light manufacturing there, which over the decades was gradually moved out. You could find cheap accommodation in what are now some of the most fashionable neighborhoods in New York. We're now on 10th Street, very close to uh, the place where Bill de Kooning had his studio. This neighborhood became a nucleus, another one of the points in the New York art world uh, post-1945. Um, the interesting thing is that you, you could live here, have your studio here, have your major art supply here. Fourth uh, Avenue in this part of New York was the home of very interesting secondhand bookshops. You also had the very interesting Museum of Living Art, which was Albert Gallatin's collection, where people could actually see works by Picasso, Leger, Miro, Mondrian. The, uh, the European masters, and they could, they could see these works um, as early as the late 20s on through the 1940s. As we drive down 8th Street, um, it's a, a vibrant retail block now. In the 1940s, if you had walked down these streets, you'd have seen small shops, you'd have seen the front of the Cedar Tavern with its neon sign. The Cedar Tavern is the legendary watering hole for the artists associated with abstract expressionism. It was a 
a place that was important for this artistic culture because it was a place where everyone was on equal footing, very little regard to one's commercial status. At that point, people weren't really selling enough to, to have a market presence. Um, and it was a place where all of these discussions could take place over drinks. Surrounding this, this area, we have a number of very important locations. Uh, for example, Jackson Pollock lived at 46 East 8th Street from the 30s. We also have the famous Artists Club, the principal place where 20, 30, 40 artists get together, um, do presentations, have discussions, debates, and arguments. Beer and pretzels were the order of the day. And this was a very significant meeting place for people. And of course, the conversations that were begun at the club were followed up later at the Cedar Tavern, which was just around the corner, making it very, very convenient. This was um, their spiritual home, <laughs> so to speak, whereas 57th Street would be their commercial home. Uh, we're traveling now across 58th Street, um, heading east. We're in a traffic jam, not unusual this time of year. We're going in the direction of the Stable Gallery, uh, an interesting gallery, an artist-run space um, that started um, showing members of the Abstract Expressionist movement um, around the early 1950s. This gave artists the opportunity to organize the shows according to their own sense of what the, the aesthetic issues were, to select artists, um, not be too concerned with the market, but just to get a sense of what they held in common. Um, there was a lot of promotion that was initiated by artists. Um, by no means was the history of abstract expressionism only uh, written by powerful critics like Clement Greenberg or Harold Rosenberg. Okay, now we're on 57th Street, and we're going to head to um, 30 West, and then 15 East, so if we just carry across... 40 West? Yes. Well, 57th Street is now quite a fashionable shopping street. A lot of flagship stores from uh, international luxury goods producers... Um, we're um, just outside of 30 West 57th Street, which was the home of Peggy Guggenheim's gallery called Art of This Century. Peggy Guggenheim was a great patron. She helped to support Jackson Pollock in the early part of her career. And during the period of this gallery, um, she was advised by people like the art historian Meyer Shapiro, who would set up new young talent shows. Here we are at 15 East 57th Street, which is a relatively high-rise building. In the 1940s, a succession of important galleries um, had their home in this building, uh, including Betty Parsons Gallery, Sidney Janis Gallery, and the Samuel Coots Gallery. The interesting point about these galleries and the commercial art scene in the mid to late 1940s in New York was that you had a number of galleries that were in the Midtown area and the Upper East Side that showed European artists exclusively. 
But these galleries, the younger galleries, Parsons, Coots, and Janice, were the ones um, that were showing American artists. And this was a place where the market for abstract expressionism really took shape. This was important. People showed with few expectations of making sales. But once sales started, and once the critical reception reached a certain level, artists then started looking towards those galleries that were the most commercially successful, the ones where they could have a viable career if they were showing with them. And this in part explains why so many great artists left Betty Parsons in the early 1950s. 51, 52 was a time when things really started to explode for abstract expressionism, and it really became established. We're now in front of 375 Park Avenue. Park Avenue, we associate that name with the wealthiest, um, most grand residences in New York City. This particular building was designed by Mies van der Rohe, it's black steel with the typical glass curtain wall modernist look. It was constructed in the late 1950s, and part of the project included a high-end restaurant known as the Four Seasons that was designed by the young architect Philip Johnson. And Philip Johnson commissioned Mark Rothko to create a series of large panels, painted murals, um, for the restaurant. Rothko accepted the commission, but then ultimately abandoned the project after he actually had dinner in the restaurant and realized that his idea of creating paintings that would sicken those people who ate there was completely absurd, that there was nothing that they would attend to but the glamour of each other and the status of eating in this restaurant. By the late 1950s, um, people like Rothko, Gottlieb, um, these were the people that were what we would call the blue-chip artists of their generation. Really, they were established, and not only were they seen to be the proper kind of art to be placed in these corporate surroundings, which was very much antithetical to their diffidence towards mainstream American culture, but also they were the subject of international touring exhibitions sponsored by the Museum of Modern Art, their work was in major collections, not only in New York, but across the nation and in Europe. In a word, they had become the establishment, and this became very clear to the younger artists of the 1950s. People like Jasper Johns, Robert Rauschenberg, um, they all saw the abstract expressionists as important, but really the old guard, and something to be transcended and superseded. The Open University. For more information, go to www.open.edu forward slash iTunes U.